I want us to just stop for a minute and focus on the words that were just saying there. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, he is my life. Think about the weight of that simple phrase. This morning, can you say that? Can you say that with all the blessings that you have, that if all of it was stripped away, could you honestly sing? Could you honestly say, Hallelujah, I have Christ. As we've been talking about the gospel in action for some time now, we've been talking about the importance of sharing the gospel and how when sharing the gospel, there's certain things that may come our way, like persecution or pain. We talked about a theology of suffering. We've talked about joy. We've talked about this awesome God that we have. And I think if we could boil all of our theology down to just that, hallelujah, I have Christ. He's all I need. That concept is so beautiful, it's so powerful. But can we honestly say, it's enough? My heart and my prayer this morning is that we can say, yeah, it is. But why don't we go ahead to the Lord in prayer as we think on that. Father God, we love you and we thank you. And as we talk about the gospel in action, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege I had this week of going to Aliquippa and seeing uh, all the families from our church pouring out love by constructing a home to help people as they come out of prison. I thank you for the student missions team that's getting ready to go over to Jamaica to serve you, Lord. To, to work with those who are deaf and, and to construct a trade school, Lord Jesus. We thank you for Urban Impact and the Man Up Conference, God. 700 plus fathers in a room together worshiping and talking about what it means to be a man of God. Lord, we thank you for the privileges that we have to serve you. I thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on us as I see a city coming alive for you, God. You've called us to go, Lord. You've called us to be the gospel in action. And this morning as we talk about Paul and Silas in an experience that they had, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our ears and allow us to hear what you want us to hear, God. For each one of us may need to hear something different from you this morning, God. I pray that these would be your words and that we would receive them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As I said in my prayer, I've been excessively blessed and excessively proud of, of our congregants and of our families and of our people as I've watched as they've poured out love over the city of Pittsburgh and over the world. And I'm excited to see what God's doing. I've been saying it over and over and over again. I'm so encouraged by what God's doing in this church. He is moving in mighty ways. He is doing great things. And each one of us has the opportunity to be a part of the gospel in action. And a lot of times in our lives, as a lot of you know, there's these weird moments where something happens. And for me, I think of that red light that I catch. You ever been in a rush and, and you're driving somewhere and you've got a limited time to get there and all of a sudden you hit that traffic light and it stops you. And it's not just a traffic light. It is like the most personalized traffic light for you in the world because it doesn't stop for 30 seconds. It doesn't stop for two minutes. It seems like that traffic light stops for 45 minutes when you've got 10 minutes to get somewhere. Has this ever happened to anybody? 
And then all of a sudden, the light turns green, and your head's turning red, and you hit that pedal, and you're flying, and all of a sudden, something chaotic has happened, or something miraculous, like a deer runs in front of you, and you think to yourself, wow, if I had been two seconds earlier, I would have been smashed by that semi, or that deer would have run straight into me. Has anybody ever had that kind of weird thing happen to them? Where that curse, that thing that made you angry in a moment, that thing that kind of threw your schedule off, all of a sudden became a blessing. Amen? It happens. And in those moments, I know for me, I always look back at my kids and go, oh boy, they saw all of that. (laughs) Daddy, why are you so mad? (laughs) And then I realized that sometimes those little inconveniences, those little hardships, those things that in the moment don't seem to make sense all of a sudden, are a humongous blessing. Some of you have been parents of kids who have walked away from the Lord, but you remained faithful. You continued to teach them, you continued to love them, and you prayed for them, and you were obedient to God, even though in that moment, it seemed like all hope was lost. Anybody ever been there? How about those parents that you saw the day when that child came back to the Lord. And in that moment, when that child came back to the Lord, all the suffering, all the hardship, all the the sore knees from being down on them in prayer, all of it was worth it. Amen? All of the life lessons were worth it. And a lot of times, as we talked about that theology of suffering, a lot of times as believers, we don't like the concept that sometimes God's will for us is to go through hardships, that sometimes God's will for us is to go through suffering. It's not popular to want to hurt, right? But the reality of it is, is we can't always see the whole picture. And we have a God who has a divine plan for each one of us. And if we believe that Christ is enough, and if we believe in the Jesus that we say we believe in, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, then we as believers have to trust in God's will and understand that through the pain, through the hard times, through the sorrow, that God is going to do something amazing. In our story this morning, we have a great example of this. This time, it's Paul and Silas' turn for a miraculous escape from prison. And I'm blown away by this story because as I studied it this week, I always just assumed that, you know, the earthquake came and Paul and Silas, they just got out of prison, they ran and they fleed, but the reality is so much more rich uh, to what actually happens in this story. And so if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And to just kind of set up the scene for you, where we're at is we have Paul and Silas and Luke are on this missionary journey. And they're sharing Christ with this seamstress, this lady that deals with a certain type of cloth. Her name is Lydia. They share the gospel with her. She accepts Christ. And there's this Jesus movement that begins. And so Paul and Silas are, are, are on a very successful missionary trip right now. God is moving. God is doing some amazing things. And it says in verse 16, 16, that, that they, be, they went to a place of prayer. And while they were going there, they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, to describe to you what this may look like, if you've ever seen some movies that take place in the time of the Old Testament in the Roman Empire, you have these women, or these people, these men, 
And they're said to have the spirit of what's called python. It's a snake. But it was also believed to be a spirit that could give you the power of, of telling the future. And so what would happen is, is you would have these people who could tell the future, and they would be talking as sweet and as lovely as can be to you. Then all of a sudden, in a snap of a moment, they would turn into this alter ego, and they would begin to speak in a different voice, often sounding, if you can imagine what a demonic voice would sound like, it would sound like that, something completely different. And they would begin to tell the future and, and predict and do all this stuff for people. And as people throughout the ages, even in our time, have found a way to take advantage of people, people began to buy them as slaves, these people that were uh, demonically possessed. And it became a very lucrative business. And so here you have this woman that they encounter who is a slave. She's owned by somebody. She makes somebody a lot of money. The word ventriloquist is often used when describing these types of people because of their, their dual personalities, their dual, uh, the, the ability to just go into a different tone and language. And so Paul and Silas encounter this woman. She predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say something nice and say the truth? Like, Jamie, you have really great hair. That's not the truth. But someone comes up to you and they say that, and and what's our response? Oh, that's really nice. Thank you very much. No, Jamie, you have really great hair. Okay, thank you. I'm going to go over here now. No, Jamie, you have really great hair. And on and on and on and on this goes on. Parents, you remember this. Mommy, 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 mommy. Right? Paul and Silas are in this moment where they've got this woman. She's going, these guys can tell you the way to God. They can tell you the way to be saved. What she's saying isn't wrong, but where she's saying it from is she's possessed by a spirit. And she's following the men around, endlessly chanting this. Can you imagine what that would have been like? She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that you come out of her. And at once the spirit left her. The reality is at any moment, Paul could have turned and done that. But in his heart, God hadn't worked yet. God hadn't caused him to be at a place to turn around. And so in a weird way, God was being patient through Paul. He was teaching Paul to be obedient. And in a moment, he turns around, he casts out the demon, the spirit. And in a way, the woman is set free. Freer than we may realize, because without the ability to tell, to fortune tell, she's useless to her master's. Not only has she been set free from a spirit, she now serves no purpose as a slave. This is actually a quite beautiful moment that came from annoyance, right? But what happens is, is because these people were using her for profit and for gain, the people became angry. And it says, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they drug them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, 
These men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. Now, is that what happened? What they really meant by that statement was, is they just liberated this poor woman and we're mad because now we want money for it. And so they began to spin and twist the story. And what it says here, it doesn't say anything about Paul and Silas getting angry, going, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, we're Roman citizens here too. This whole accusation, there's nothing to this. But what they do, instead of running their mouths, they're silent. And I'm going to tell you, church, there is moments in our lives where we are called by God to be silent. In this moment, Paul and Silas gave up their rights willfully as Romans. Because as we're going to find out here shortly, Romans were not to be treated this way. Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They were not just Jews. A Roman citizen was to never be publicly treated the way that they're about to be treated. In a moment, they could have said, wait, we're Romans. We appeal to Caesar. And everything would have had to have stopped. But they didn't. Because God has called them to this place. I'm sure that when Paul and Silas were heading to the place of prayer and this woman was following them and when they cast out this spirit, I'm sure that Paul and Silas had completely different plans than to be physically drug out into the street, stripped naked and been beaten, to be flogged. I'm sure their plans were completely different. Would you agree with that? But in this moment, God did something different. And in an act of obedience, they remained silent. At this time, the crowd joined in and attacked uh, in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been successfully flo- uh, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailers were commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. See, they didn't realize that they were Roman citizens at this point. They were viewed as very heinous criminals because they were thrown in the inner cell. The outer cells, you had a chance of someone breaking you out. The inner cell, you're stuck. Not only that, they locked their feet in. Their feet in. And so I just keep wanting you to imagine in your mind the reality of what happened on this day because this isn't a, a story that's made up. This really happened. And so you have Paul and Silas who, who were just going about, they were coming off a successful mission trip. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for the way that you've blessed us, God. Everything's going great. Everything's going good. Hey, there's this crazy woman, and she won't be quiet. So in the name of Jesus, I cast out this spirit. Another good thing, this woman set free from this bondage. And then all of a sudden comes the hurt, comes the crowd. They begin to beat the guys down. They don't defend themselves. And now we find them in prison. I'm sure somebody was waiting on them. I'm sure they were going somewhere. And here they are in prison, beaten. I don't know if you remember, several years ago, there was a young American boy guilty of graffiti, and and I believe it was in the Philippines. And his punishment was to be flogged. And our entire nation was in an uproar over that. That's wrong. He's an American citizen. He, does, he deserves rights. And his family came out and they were complaining and they were saying this and that and he was unjustly accused. And here we have Paul and Silas in a circumstance where they're guilty of nothing. 
But yet they say nothing. They don't complain. They don't call for God to strike the guards dead. Instead, they do something that has proven through missions and martyrdom to be something that is absolutely beautiful. They turn to songs. They turn to hymns. They turn to singing. And they turn to praying out loud. In verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. These guys were locked in the stocks. They couldn't lay down. They were uncomfortable. And instead of griping and complaining and saying, this is wrong, wait a second, this is wrong, they, they, they went to God in prayer. And not only did they go to God in prayer, in their moment of suffering, as I'm sure they were laying there bleeding, beaten, and bruised, they took a moment and they began to praise God. They worshiped God. They sought God. And they let everybody see them do it. These guys are being a testimony through their lives to all the other prisoners. And so in a miraculous way, because God loves big stories, he loves big endings, here they are praying, here they are singing, everybody's watching, when all of a sudden, there was a violent earthquake, so violent that the earthquake uh, shook the foundations of the prison. At once, all the prisoners' doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Can you imagine that? You're watching these guys pray for God to liberate them, to set them free. And all of a sudden, the whole foundation of the prison shakes. Your door opens. Your chains fall off. And then you hear a a voice going, oh no, oh no, where is everybody? And it's the jailer. He's panicking for his life. Because as we saw earlier, when when, uh, Peter and, and I think it was Luke or John escaped from prison, the, the, the guards were put to death. And so our guard, our jailer in this story, in this moment, decides he's going to pull out his sword and he's going to run himself through. And I want you to imagine in your mind what it would look like. Here's this guy, this father, this, this, this uncle, this, this guy who's providing for his family is so stressed out about what's going to happen to him because all the prisoners have just escaped that he pulls out this sword, he sticks it to his stomach, and he's about to run himself through. When all of a sudden, Paul, who's busy in the back, gathering up all the prisoners, saying, look guys, I need you to stay here. I need you to stay here. I need you to stay here. The scripture says that Paul got some sort of organization with the, with the uh, inmates. Now when we think of this, this isn't a pretty little thing where the building's shaking a little bit, and all of a sudden just the doors open, and just the chains fall off. You're talking about something that shook the foundation of a building. The building's probably coming in on them. All the lights are extinguished because in a moment we'll see the jailer call for lights. This is a violent moment. Chaos is ensuing. And here the men who were just praying aloud and who were singing songs to God take control of the situation and they tell everybody, don't panic, we got this. And then Paul looks over and there's that guard. He's ready to run himself through. And he says, whoa, hold up, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Can you imagine the relief that that jailer must have felt in that moment when Paul uttered those words, do not harm yourself, we're all here. How unheard of is that? Do you think if the walls of any prison fall down that the the jailed people, maybe some of them are on death sentences, are just going to sit there? 
Maybe this Roman soldier at this moment thought that all this Jesus stuff was a joke and, and, he, and he had been told the story about how Paul and, and Silas you know, released this woman from a spirit and now you know, the guys that, that owned her were mad and so this is just a train wreck. He's probably laughing about this situation and all of a sudden he sees this miraculous moment happen right in front of him. And the very next words out of his mouth as he calls for lights, he says, give me light. And his aides come in and they bring light into the prison. And sure enough, Paul and all the prisoners are there. In a moment of miracle, they had prayed for God to release them. So why didn't they run? Because it wasn't what God called them to. This wasn't the release that God called them to. He's called them to obedience in this moment. And God had said, stay. He must have told Paul to stay. So he did. And in this moment, the jailer kneels before Paul. And I'm sure that there were tears welling up in his eyes. And he says, tell me how I must be saved. And I need to read this because the word of God is just too good for me not to. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. And what they're talking about right there, they're not talking about salvation for the entire home through, through just one guy saying something. They're talking about this whole message can be shared with your whole family. And the jailer gets this. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Can you imagine this? Hey, honey, I'm coming home from work, uh, and I'm bringing the inmates with me. What? You know what? These guys really have a message I want you to hear. And something amazing just happened, honey. Just get the kids, call your dad, call your mother, get everybody in the house. I want them to hear something. And I want to tell you this. Had Paul and Silas taken a moment and said, well, poor me, well, poor me. You know what? These people beat me unjustly. Forget them. I'm out of here. Had they been disobedient to God because of their fear, because of their rights, they would have missed a moment to share the gospel with these people. And so instead, in this moment of obedience, they, they stay, and all the other prisoners are seeing what's happening. So not only are they being a testimony to the jailer, not only are they being a testimony to the jailer's family, they're being a testimony to the other prisoners. So now all the inmates, beaten up, broken, bruised, one from flogging and two from being in prison and three from an earthquake, they all show up at this guy's house. He puts a meal on the table for them and they experience a fellowship that I would love to see. Prisoners, jailers, and their families. If that is not Jesus doing something, folks, I don't know what is. Everybody's saved the family is baptized. And then God says, you'll be free to Paul and Silas. And how he does that is kind of awesome. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent to the office, uh, to send their, send, excuse me, magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the orders, release those men. 
The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. God's timing is perfect. Amen? Uh, He orders them to be released. The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave and go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, this is a beautiful moment, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison, and now do they want to get now they just want to get rid of us quietly. No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Now, Paul, you've just been released from prison, and this is what you say? The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were terrified, they were alarmed, you think? They came to appease them and escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with their brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. As we read this passage of Scripture, there's so many sermons in this Scripture. And I tried to think to myself, what could be some things that we could get out of this for today? And I thought of four things. As we look at Paul and Silas in this this moment, we see that they were obedient to God in, in many ways. The first way that they were obedient to God is they were obedient to God by being silent. They were obedient to God by enduring suffering, by enduring persecution. They were obedient to God when the jail, when the people came out, made false accusations. They knew in their heart and they knew in their mind that their God would defend them and that he would deliver them. And so they were obedient in silence. Not only were they obedient in silence, they were obedient to be joyful. Write these down. Because in a moment of sorrow, in a moment of brokenness, they could have turned to weeping and self-pity, but instead they turned to hymns, they turned to praise and worship, they turned to praising God in their storm. And because of their praises, the other prisoners saw a testimony of God. They saw men who were joyful to the point that when the earthquake came, they trusted and listened to Paul. They were obedient in silence. They were obedient in song. And they were obedient in standing for truth in its proper time. This is a concept that I think we as Americans can relate to very well. Because here are two Roman citizens who had all the rights in the world to not be treated the way that they were. But for the sake of the gospel, they kept their mouth shut and they glorified God in their silence. But in the end of the story, we see a moment where God puts it on their heart to stand. And after they're released from prison, they reveal the big surprise. Guess what, folks? We are Roman citizens. You can't treat us this way. And some of us may look at that and go, well, well, why did Paul and Silas choose in that moment to do it that way? God's timing is perfect. Did you know that this moment when Paul and Silas reveal that they're Romans completely changes the way that the Roman Empire begins to view this whole Christianity movement? This moment was a pivotal moment where they stood and they say, look, you shouldn't treat us like this. You did treat us like this. And we want to let you know it's wrong but we're still going to love you. And they shared the gospel with the jailer and his family in spite of the injustice and the rights that they had. They laid down their rights, but they picked them up when it was appropriate. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
There's a time for us as citizens of this country to stand for those that can't stand for themselves. I think of abortion. We are called by God to stand against that type of evil. Amen? We are not called as Christians to sit silent. But I'm here to tell you there may come a time in our nation when we are persecuted for our beliefs and we just got to take the punishment. It's coming. It happened here. They were obedient in silence. They were obedient in joy. They were obedient in standing for truth. And most importantly, the end of everything we do, the goal of everything we do as Christians should be to share the gospel. Amen? They were obedient in their life. They were obedient in sharing the gospel with Lydia. They were obedient in sharing the gospel through their life. They were obedient to sharing their gospel through the one that was keeping them imprisoned. They did not go, why me? They didn't look at their circumstance and say, well, I'm too tired. I just got flogged. I don't feel like baptizing 30 of your family. No, they were obedient, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, because God had moved their heart. God had moved the hearts of the people, and they were obedient. Church, we need to be a church that is obedient like these guys. We need to recognize that like those silly little red lights in our life, God is doing things in our lives for a reason. We may see them as curses, but they're actually gifts. I use this analogy all the time, and if I've used it in here, I apologize, but it works. As an artist, in your mind, as you're painting or you're drawing, you have the entire picture in your mind. And what oftentimes can happen as an artist is we can get tunnel vision and we can get focused on one small portion of the picture. And it may not come out the way you wanted it to. In fact, it's oftentimes when I'm working with pastels or charcoal that I'll drag my, the, the, the base of my hand or my wrist across the picture and I'll create a smudge. And it just seems like I ruined the whole thing. But a real artist's He knows how to take that smudge and turn it into a shadow. He knows how to take that smudge and make it into something beautiful because the reality of it is is if you focus on just that much of a gigantic picture, it may seem hopeless. It may seem like nothing's going right. But I'll tell you this, when an artist puts that piece on display, nobody says to him, well, what about that smudge? Because they're not looking at that. Because they're looking at the beautiful picture that the artist created. And I'm going to tell you right now, there may be moments of smudges in your life. There may be moments in your life that seem like mistakes or seem like suffering or seem like, God, what are you doing? But I'm here to tell you, you're only seeing small parts of the picture. That God has the entire masterpiece in his mind. And if you will let the artist paint the picture, he will turn you into something beautiful. We need to be obedient in silence. We need to be obedient in song and joy and singing for the Lord. We need to stand when that time is appropriate. And always we must share the gospel. Amen? I leave you with these words from Romans 15, 13. When sharing the gospel and going through sufferings, this is basically a summary of the reward that we will receive. May God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope and power of the Holy Spirit. Precious God, we thank you so much for being a God who loves us.
We thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you've called us to join you in your suffering, but you've also called us to join you in laughter and sharing in the eternal rewards of heaven. God, oftentimes we are not faithful because we're afraid of earthly things. Help us in those moments as Paul and Silas turn to songs and to prayers. Help us in those moments, God, to sing to you, to praise to you, to, 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 to ask you to embrace us and hold us, God, and help us to be faithful to the calling that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.